We are bringing together imperfect people in pursuit of a whole life. Welcome to the Pathfinder Church Message Podcast. This week, Pastor Doug shares his message from our series, The Wonder of With, week four, God is with us in the battles. When I was a teenager, a movie came out that swept the public consciousness. It uh, won the Academy Award for Best Picture. Uh, everyone was quoting it forever. It was really defining in my own young life. Uh, and there was this one moment in it, it's set during the Scottish War for Independence, and, and before the Battle of Stirling Bridge, there's a speech given to these faltering warriors. Uh, and I just wanted to give you a taste of that speech today, the one that inspired me uh, so long ago. So check out this movie clip. Will you fight? Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to train all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives but they'll never take our freedom! Ah! Are you not inspired? I tell you, I memorized that whole speech. I spent probably the next 10 years of my life quoting it uh, to everyone else's annoyance, I'm sure. I, I got the soundtrack for that movie. I would, go, I would fall asleep at night listening to the war drums and the bagpipes. Like, that, was, that was how inspired I was by that movie. Because there is something intoxicating and powerful about having a cause that is so important that your own life and safety pales in comparison. Something bigger than yourself that is worth fighting for. And in fact, those of us who follow God, who know Jesus Christ personally, we have the most important cause that's ever been, a cause that truly is worth more than our own life itself. And so Christianity for, for millennia has claimed the battle metaphor that we are uh, at war, we are fighting a good fight because we have a cause that is worth more than our lives. And so as we work through the various seasons and ask whether God is with us, and we've talked about it, we, we need to question today, is God with us in the battles? Because as Christians, we, we use this language all the time. We need to make sure we get it right. And again, as we've gone through this series, you've probably noticed a bit of a pattern. That as we look forward to this moment where God is with us in a manger, we talk about how is God with us in the garden in, in the times of goodness and blessing and plenty? And yes, he is. And is God with us in the wilderness, those times of uncertainty and struggle, yes, he is. And is God with us in community when, when we're just surrounded by fellow brothers and sisters, broken individuals like ourselves? Yes, he is. And that brings us to this week, is God with us in the battles? And the answer is sometimes, sometimes God is with us in the battles. And so I want to talk about this both soberly but optimistically, that, that if we are people that are going to, to fight in the battles, if, if we want to have a cause that's bigger than ourselves, this is something we've got to get right. 
And we've got to enter into it sober-mindedly, not rashly, not, not with naive optimism that we just charge in any battle. We have to really pay attention to what it looks like for us as followers of God, Jesus Christ, to go into the good battles, the right battles, the God-pleasing battles, and how to fight them well. And, and in order to talk about it, we're going to look at a really great uh, section of scripture, one that I really like. It, it's from the book of Joshua. Uh, and the context is that this is right after Moses has been leading the people out of Egypt and through the wilderness. We actually talked about this just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and this is the moment where God is ready to lead his people into the promised land. The problem is it's already occupied. And so this is going to be a season of warfare. This is going to be decades of battles facing God and his people under the command of Joshua. Uh, And so let's look at this kind of inaugural moment as they transition from wilderness into the battle. So now when Joshua was near Jericho, and this is the first main city of the promised land, uh, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and he asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, the man replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence, and he asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, the gates of Jericho, that first city, were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days and have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, everyone straight in. This is how God kicks off this inaugural season of battles with this direct uh, connection and command to Joshua. Now, there are a few things I want to make sure you understand about this passage so that we can can understand it rightly. Um, As I'll tell you, this is actually one of the five most important guiding passages in my life. Not, not kidding, but it's not one that you've probably heard preached on very much. It's kind of obscure for a lot of people, and yet I think it is critically important for Christians, for anyone who's trying to follow God, and especially for anyone uh, who anticipates facing battles in life in the name of God. And so a few things you got to know about this. First of all, who is Joshua talking to? This is one of those great moments where the the Bible, especially the Old Testament, loves to just kind of sketch out the details and let you fill in the gaps. Well, let let me help you and fill in the gaps. Joshua is talking to God himself. This is actually the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity. This is Jesus Christ before he was born in a manger. That God knew throughout history that he was going to build up to this Christmas moment. But before that moment, there were times where, where, the, where his son, the second person, came down and, and interacted with his people for encouraging or, or miraculous reasons. And this is one of them. And the reason you know that, that this is, this is Jesus himself, not just an angel, uh, is a couple of things happen. One uh, is Joshua bows down in worship. 
Uh, and anytime someone uh, encounters an angel in the Bible and they start to worship them because angels are freaky, uh, the angel always says, no, 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 don't worship me, only worship God. Worship is only for God. Every angel has always been clear in scripture to say, don't worship me. But this guy, when Joshua worshiped him, he just took it, he, he received it. And the second thing uh, is, is that then this commander of the Lord's army, he told Joshua, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. And if you've you paid attention to some of the scripture passages before this, that's the same thing that happened to Moses when God was incarnate in a burning bush. See, the presence of an angel doesn't make something holy ground. It's only the presence of God himself that makes something holy ground. And so the first thing for understanding the story rightly is to recognize that God is literally physically with Joshua in this moment as he's about to start facing the battles in his life. What an encouraging uh, and amazing story to, to reflect on. Second thing you need to know about this is if you don't really know who Joshua is, let, let me give you just a, a quick summary. See, if you've been paying, uh, following along with us the last few weeks in our previous series, Broken Heroes, uh, we spent nine weeks talking about how all these famous people in the Bible, everyone that you've heard of, Abraham and, and Moses, Solomon and Peter, all of these people, even though they did great things, even though they, they expanded God's kingdom, even though they're in the Bible, they were all broken in really deep ways. They, they all had mortal flaws, failings that, that hurt them, hurt their family, hurt the people around them. But you notice that we didn't have a week on Joshua if you were part of that. And that's because Joshua is, as close as I can tell, the only perfect human being that's in the Bible. You get to see this guy's life for about 60 years. And for 60 years, Joshua never messes up. Joshua proves himself over and over again that he is a man of integrity, he is a man of faithfulness, that he has different roles throughout his time with God's people, and every role, he does it to the fullness, uh, with the fullest of hearts, he does it faithfully to God, he never compromises. Joshua is a good guy. He's a great leader, there's nothing wrong with the leadership of Joshua. And the reason I tell you that is because this fascinating thing happens if you're paying attention that Joshua is rebuked by God in this moment, right? Joshua, he's so brave, he's a man of faith. He challenges everyone. He's not afraid, he doesn't back down from a fight. He sees a stranger with a sword and Joshua's like, whose side are you on? You on our side or the side of our enemies? Like, and this is not necessarily a bad thing. This is Joshua just being brave. But God just very, very calmly, but with one word, rebukes him, neither. And that word neither is so critically important for anyone who wants to, to stand and fight for God. This moment where a brave man and leader of integrity challenges God and says, God, are you on my side? You're on the enemy side. And God says to Joshua, so faithful, God says to him, neither. I'm not on your side or your enemy's side. If anything, you need to be on mine. And so this brings us to the first principle I want us to have, that, that when we're talking about battles, we always need to be slow to assume that God is on our side, but constantly checking ourselves that we are on his. And this is critically important. I wanna leave this up for you to ponder for, for a minute because this is what trips up so many people right now today. I'll tell you, this is not a great time for, for the reputation of being a pastor or a priest or an evangelist because they are getting rightly called out for, for bad behavior, awful, horrendous behavior. And I can tell you, I know why that's happening. I know why so many pastors, priests, and evangelists are, are getting taken out. It's because of a misunderstanding or, or not being aware of this passage, this very one. Because here's what happens. 
You, uh, you have um, a, a calling, a, a passion for God. You want, you want to do the right things for God. And so you go into ministry. You become a pastor. You become an evangelist. You, you become a leader. And, and you did that for all the right reasons. But then what happens is because you've now claimed this label, this identity, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm God's man. What ends up happening is slowly but surely, you start then assuming that therefore any action you take must also be God-pleasing. After all, I'm God's man. And, and you see it happen over and over again. And the news is full of these stories where, where a pastor says, you know what, I work so hard for God. I do all these things. And, and so, you know what, these funds for the ministry, you know, if, if I use them wrong, I mean, it, it's just because I'm so stressed out. It's because I deserve it. I work so hard. Uh, and so, I, you know, I need a jet, you know, or, or whatever it is, right? Or they embezzle money. And again, they justify it because if you start with this assumption that you are God's person, that you are right just by that, by the nature of that label, then you will start to justify every action you take, even the ones that are not justifiable. And slowly but steadily, they will corrupt your actions and behaviors and you'll get what we're seeing all across the world, which is pastors that, that have justified things they shouldn't have and they get taken down because they forgot to check themselves because they just fell into this assumption, oh, I'm a pastor. God must be on my side. And that is not true. If it's not true for Joshua, who's the most faithful man of integrity ever recorded in scripture, then it's certainly not true for just random pastor. And it's also not necessarily true for us just in general. See, this isn't just a verse for pastors. This is a verse for all of us. See, because this, this takes us all down in different ways. Guys, as I look at the battles that we are waging, that, that, that Christians especially are waging right now in our country, I'll tell you, this is the passage that I think so many of them are getting wrong. And what I would love for you to apply and check to your own life, and I'll give you one really blatant but important example. You see, because of this passage, I have personally made a point. I have never identified myself as either a Democrat or a Republican because I've seen what happens. And here's what happens is you make that choice originally because that platform identifies most closely with your beliefs. I believe that. Anyone here who thinks that, you, that self-identifies as a Republican or a Democrat, I believe that you made that choice because you thought that that most closely matched with your religious beliefs. But what ends up happening is what we see here in Joshua 5 is that then eventually that identity starts to trump and you start to assume that then God is on your side because of that identity instead of the other way around. And so you find people who say, well, you know, I'm a Republican. I actually, I'm pro-life. I, you know, I care about life. Of course, God is on my side. Well, maybe, maybe for that piece of it. Or you find someone who says, well, I'm a Democrat. I actually care about poor people and immigrants. Of course, God is on my side. Well, maybe. But all too often what happens is you pick the thing because there was a piece of it that aligned with God's teachings, but then as part of that platform, there are things, and let me just say this right now, there are things about both Republican and Democratic platforms that absolutely do not align with God's platform. But what happens is when we claim that as an identity and we assume that this choice that we made once upon a time, that that now means that anything else that we do under this identity, that must mean that God's on our side. And it might not be, and in fact, often isn't. That we find ourselves justifying things we should not justify. We approve uh, policies or politicians that we shouldn't approve because we just assume by that one choice, God is now on our side. 
And so what I encourage you to do is just to recognize before we go on the offensive, before we line up in battle and say, we're ready to take on the world, to every step of the way, check yourself. Hang on, hang on. I know at one point I was on God's side in this. Am I still, or has this become a different agenda and now I'm using God as a prop for something that I've just decided for my own reasons or for the battles that I think I need to fight. And the reason you and I all need to make sure we get this right is because there are real consequences when we get this wrong. In fact, um, one of them happened to God's people immediately following this story. So we jump ahead, they've already had the battle of Jericho. And now the next city in line, as they're, as they're called to fight these battles and conquer the promised land is a city called Ai. And this battle goes a little differently. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, he took some of them, which he wasn't supposed to do. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth Aven, to the east of Bethel, and he told them, go up and spy out the region. He's being smart. He's being shrewd. Let's figure, this, the, you know, let's figure out the strategy. So the men went up and they spied out Ai. And then when they returned to Joshua, they said, We don't even need the whole army to have to go up against Ai. Just send two or 3,000 men to take it. Do not weary the whole army for only a few people live there. Again, compared to Jericho, right, with this huge fortified wall, like this is is gonna be a piece of cake. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai who killed about 36 of them. And they chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and they struck them down on the slopes. And at this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and they became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and he fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there until the evening. And the elders of Israel did the same and they sprinkled dust on their heads. And then Joshua said, alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. Joshua, he's he's repenting even in this moment. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites, the other people of the country, they'll hear about this and they will surround us and they'll wipe out our name from the earth. And what then will you do for your own great name? And the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they have lied, they have put them with their own possessions. And that is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. So understand what's happening here, that they've just had this amazing victory in Jericho and now they're just, they're filled with confidence, right? We can take anybody, man, if if this fortified city couldn't stand against us, no one else can. And they get wiped out and God makes it really clear to them. He doesn't want them to be any confusion about why they lost. They lost because they weren't following him the way he had instructed them to. He had given them clear commands about what to do. And here's the point we need to take from this part of the story is that just because the cause is right, does not guarantee that that particular battle is right. You see, the cause was true. God had told them he wants Israel to conquer all the promised land. God wants them to win the battle of Ai. that's, That's actually a godly thing. That's a command they've been given. But if the battle is not done rightly, if we're not picking our battles carefully, then the battle becomes wrong, even if the broader cause was right. 
You see, they didn't, they didn't ask God how he wanted them to fight the battle, like what happened in Jericho. They trusted in their own human wisdom. They sent out their own scouts and they just made a call based on that. If they'd asked God first, he would have told them, hey, actually, you've got some stuff you've got to straighten out first. See, but they just assumed that because the, the broader cause is what God had called them to do, then this next battle must be what God wanted them to fight. And it clearly wasn't because they got destroyed. The second thing to learn from this story is this, that in battles, we have to check our motivations. Are we primarily motivated by following God or by winning fights? You see, in that story, um, Achan was the guy that, that was the scapegoat. God had told them, I'm the one that's going to take care of you. I'm the one that's going to win your fights for you. You don't need any of the spoils and plunder of the cities that you conquer in this campaign. God had made it really clear. He said, so don't take anything. Don't take their treasures. Don't take their, their cattle. I don't want you to take any of that because then you're going to rely on your own ability to win a fight rather than relying on me as God to protect you and provide for you. And so that's what Achan did. His motivation was he wanted to provide for himself. He wanted to win a fight so that he could have all of the spoils of war that he needed to protect himself instead of relying on the Lord. That was his wrong motivation, and it cost them the victory. But I even know for myself, I have wrong motivations all the time. That I, I find, get into these situations where, again, the cause might be a right cause. Defending Christianity, fighting for the expansion of God's kingdom, those are good causes. But it's such a subtle distinction between fighting for the cause, you know, looking for the cause, trying to follow God, or just really wanting to be the one who's right, wanting to be the one who's, who's winning. And I'll, I'll tell you this, the number of arguments, the number of fights that I have absolutely won, I won the fight but I lost the person in the act of doing it because it had become more about my own rightness than it had been about uh, connecting with God and doing what God had asked me to do. And I'll tell you, as I look back on my life and I look at at a lot of the, the, the fights I used to pick and I recognize in them that there was nothing in those fights about my own desire to follow and grow closer to God. The, the big one was I spent most of my college years really on the, uh, the apologetics bandwagon, and I, I boned up on all, all the defenses of Scripture, and, and the big one I really liked to get into was, was creation, how creation worked. You know, was, was it six literal days, or was it billions of years? And I knew all of the scientific uh, arguments, and I, I felt like I could you know, defend the case and, and talk to anyone who wasn't a believer and said that they can't believe in God because evolution makes more sense, and I would, I would you know, pounce on that instantly. And to recognize in the moment that while I thought I was trying to defend the faith and from the outside maybe it even looked like that, this was an argument, this was a debate that had no bearing on that person's relationship with Jesus and it certainly had no bearing on my own following of Jesus. At the end of the day, the life that God has called me to live, a life of of loving my neighbor, of growing ever closer to Jesus himself, of being transformed to be more like Christ, None of that has any bearing on whether creation was made in six days or billions of years. Now, I still have an opinion on that. I still know which one I think is right and which one I think scripture says is right. But to recognize in that moment that winning the battle of creationism versus evolution has nothing to do with my own journey to follow God or even my own attempts to persuade other people that they need to follow God. And so I encourage you to check for your own sake that as you're looking into these, these opportunities to, to fight for the cause, to, 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 to battle in God's name, to check your own motivation 
Because as good and, and, and noble and right as the fight may look, is it act, what's actually motivating it? Because again, the right thing for the wrong reason becomes the wrong thing. And I'll tell you, here's a checklist that I've learned. It's, it's the thing that um, has really helped me out and I, I want to share it with you, is to recognize that we all have basic training before we go into fights, right? You don't take a, a raw recruit at 17 and just throw them right in a battle. You, you make them go through basic. You, you make them learn all of the, the skills, toughen up, get the exercise, the, the fortitude they need. And we have the same opportunity as well. And in fact, it's this series that we've been in called The Wonder of With. So if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we, this is not just um, an accident, the order that this is in. You see, before we're ready for the battles, basic training is actually these first three weeks. See, because I've recognized that a lot of the fights that I, that I get in with people is because deep down inside, sometimes I'm afraid that I can't trust that God is good enough compared to what the threat might be in the world. So someone comes against me that they, they, they either disagree with me or they're doing uh, a, a, an action that's going to cause me harm and, and what I realized in that moment is, do I know that I can trust God? Do I know that God is a good God who provides? See, and so before I get into that battle, I have to learn this lesson that I can trust God because he has been good to me. He has given me good gifts and he has provided for me every day of my life. Or, or, or sometimes I get into battles because I'm not even sure. Someone comes at, at me with something and, and it, it triggers my own uncertainty. It triggers my own doubts. Uh, and so then I'm lashing out at them, not because of, of, of following God, but just because I don't like being uncertain. I don't like the, the struggle. And so guess what? That brings me back to, I needed to learn in the wilderness how I can persevere how I, can, how I can trust God even when it feels like he's absent and to see that his goodness prevails even in times of uncertainty. Or, or even this big one, and, and I'll tell you guys, this is, this is my one right here. This is the, the reason that I, in fact, don't pick as many battles as I used to pick uh, is because in my own basic training, I recognize that I don't do week three very well. That I have a hard time maintaining gracious, trusting, loving community with even the people around me. Even brothers and sisters in Christ, I sometimes have a hard time having positive regard towards them. Or even my own family. I'm, I'm going home uh, to Colorado for Christmas for the first time in three years. And I'm gonna see some extended family that I have not seen in three years. And frankly, I've been okay with that. And I have to go home and I, and I have to face them, talk to them. There's actually some I might not even end up seeing because we are so fractured as a family right now. And so when I feel this temptation to blast someone else out there, someone that's not even in my family, someone that's not a believer, I check myself because if I can't even get faith community right, if I can't learn how to be loving and compassionate towards the people that share my beliefs, then I've got no business trying to wage war on those who don't. And so more often than not, I, I, I pull back from the battle because if I'm not confident about these three things, then I haven't done the, the work I need to do in myself in order to be prepared to fight that battle well and to fight it for the sake of following God, not for the sake of just winning. But all that said, there are the battles that we don't choose. There are the battles that are bigger than anything we would want. These moments where it just feels like we are oppressed, the world is against us. And in those moments, if, if we've done uh, some of this work, if we've checked our motivations, if we've been careful, then I, I want to make sure you have this word of hope and encouragement. That in fact, the bigger and scarier the battle is, 
the more likely it is that God is with you in it. And now I want to jump back to that battle of Jericho. Jericho, which is the preeminent city of the promised land, the city that has a fortified wall and locked gates that no one could conquer, that human strength, all of the best military tactics in the world, no one could conquer Jericho. But look what happens. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and he said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. And when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. And the armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark, and all this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, but then shout. And when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, and so everyone charged straight in. And they took the city. See, here's the thing. When we are faithfully following the Lord, then we don't have to fight for ourselves anymore in battles. The Lord's the one who fights for us. And and I'll, I'll tell you now, the most confidence that I have ever found in this life, and I want to share it with you is this, is that I actually have grown to love it when the battle feels overwhelming and impossible. When I look at a situation and I say, there's no way. There's no way this is going to play out. There's, there's no wisdom or shrewdness that I have. There's no tactic I can use that's going to win this fight. Those are the best moments because those are the moments where I have to say, well, God, you better fight for me. And it's when the odds are stacked against us. It's when I haven't even chosen the battle. It's been inflicted on me. And I want you to have that encouragement as well. That just like this city, the city that would have been impossible for them to conquer, that they would never have chosen to go after themselves, right? They picked the city of Ai. They, they looked at it and they said, oh, that one's easy. There's no wall. There's no, there's no big army there. We can, we can capture that in our own strength. And that's when they got wiped out. But this city, the city that any general would look at and say, nope. Never, never in a million years are we conquering that city. That's when God shows up. And I don't know what battles you're facing right now. I do know that Christmas is a hard season for a lot of people. But let me say this to you, that the more overwhelming it feels, the more I promise you God is in it. That when you're facing an unjust legal system, when when you or a loved one is going through some sort of medical crisis and and, and to the doctors, there's only so much they can do. When you're sitting here just feeling hopeless and despairing because this is too big, this is the thing that's going to crush you. God is with you in that battle. And we know it. We know it because of the example of Jericho, but we know it for something even more important than that story. See, as, as powerful as the battle of Jericho is, there's an even more important battle in the Bible, a, a battle that happened almost exactly 2,021 years ago. It's probably the most important battle in history. It's what we tend to talk about and we call it just Christmas. See, maybe you missed this part of the story, but Christmas is not about a, a meek and mild, silent night. Christmas is the most important influential battle in history. See, the shepherds are out on the fields at night. They have no idea anything is about to happen. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared before them. And I've highlighted this word. 
we only use the word host these days to talk about someone who uh, you know, uh, is really good at having people over to their house. That's not what host means in the Bible. In the Bible, host is strictly a military word. Host means an army. Host is when the number of soldiers, the number of fighters is so huge you can't count them. That's a host. And so this is not a moment of cute angels with wings and harps. This is supernatural soldiers poised and ready to fight. The heavenly army appeared with the angels and the heavenly army praised God and said, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. See, God showed up on Christmas ready to fight. And the outcome that he promised, the outcome that his army proclaimed is peace. Peace for you and for me. Peace that comes from knowing that we don't actually have to to struggle to win the fight ourselves because God has won the fight on our behalf. This is the true thing I want you all to know. That while there are battles that you and I will face in our life, battles that, that, that are big and large, the war is already won. The war has been won since that day when the heavenly hosts of angels took battle, not against you and me, but against the devil, sin, and death itself. And they conquered, that they won the war, the war that matters most, the one thing that you and I would never have been able to take. You think Jericho was tough? None of us could have conquered death. And yet God did. God conquered death on our behalf. And the battle that, where that began was Christmas Day all those years ago when the angels showed up and proclaimed peace, peace for you, peace for me. Peace that comes from knowing that this battle, whatever it may be that you're facing, it does not depend on your and my abilities. It depends on a God who has already won it for us. See, and this changes everything. You see, it changes even the way we fight our own battles. Uh, even, even the things that are coming against us, even the people that are hostile to us. The, the, ever since that day of Christmas, God has changed the stakes of the battles we fight. You see, it used to be about a city versus a city or taking a land, but God has actually said, no, I want something bigger than a promised land for my people. God says, I want all people to be saved. And the war that you and I have been invited to participate in, the battles that you and I get to seek out are the ones where we win people back to our side against the true enemy, the devil who would keep us bound by deceit and despair. You see, Ephesians 6 describes it this way. Paul writes in a letter to to the early Christians, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Paul says, we are going to fight. And so put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against whom? The devil and his schemes. And, And this is so important. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. You see, Christmas changed everything. 
And most specifically for what we're talking about today, it changed the battles that you and I are called to fight. Whereas we used to feel like we had to fight against the people around us, the ones who disagreed with us, the ones who are hostile to us, the ones who, who do actions that might cause our harm, that's no longer who we're fighting against. We're recognizing that there is something bigger and more powerful that we have been recruited into a war against. And, and as we reflect on what that means for us, I wanna close out by talking about one more historical battle that's been really inspiring to me. It's, it's called the Battle of Thermopylae. Uh, and it was the, the Greek city-states against the great Persian empire in the fifth century BC. Uh, and in fact, it's, it's famous these days because they made a, a pretty high-octane action movie about it called 300. Uh, but there's a book about it that to me is far more powerful and a better description of what really went on. The book is called The Gates of Fire. And in the book, it describes these Spartans. And if you watch the movie, all you know about Spartans is that they're all about madness and kicking people into wells. But what Spartans are known for is they are the greatest fighters history has ever known. These were people that, that were battle-tested over and over and over again. And in the book, The Gates of Fire, uh, Stephen Pressfield uh, relates the story of one of the most famous of the Spartans from the Battle of Thermopylae, a man named Dionikes. And Dionikes was considered the bravest in the army, braver even than Leonidas the king. Uh, and Dionikes, throughout the book, is wrestling with a fundamental question, and here's what it is. As he's, as he's talking up to the young recruits, the, these young, young men that have never been in a battle before, he says, this has been my life's struggle, is one question has haunted me. What is the opposite of fear? And again, this is a man who has committed acts of bravery, and yet this is what's struggling, or what, what's bothering him, is what is the opposite of fear? Because what he recognizes is, it's not courage. The word for courage in Greek is actually just fearless, not having fear. And he says, that, that's not helpful. You can't define, define something by the negative. And he, and he says, and even then, most of the acts of courage that I have seen were actually just motivated by a greater fear. See, so you, know, you have this fear of dying, but you have this greater fear of letting the Persians invade your empire. You, know, you have this fear of dying, but you have this greater fear that there are family at home that are, that are gonna get wiped out. And so even the, the bravery and the courage that he had seen was still just another form of fear. He's like, so, so that bravery itself cannot be the opposite of fear because it's ultimately just more fear. And after a lifetime of battles, after a lifetime of proving his own bravery, his own courage, he never found the answer until the eve before the Battle of Thermopylae, the battle where he and, and everyone else would be killed uh, in a fatal last stand. And the night before the battle, as he looked around at the soldiers that he had fought side by side with for years, at the young recruits that he had trained up from a young age, he realized the opposite of fear is love. This is the motivation that we have to have because this is the motivation God had for us. That when God looked at us and what were the battles worth fighting, God didn't fight our battles out of his own fear or of his concern of what's going to happen. He fights the battles for us because he loves us that he looked at us locked in a never-ending war with death, a battle we would never win. And out of God's love for us, he, he won that battle for our sakes. And then we ourselves, if you feel the call, that you have a cause of Christianity that is greater than our lives, that is worth more than anything we would do, and I agree with that, then our motivation for fighting that battle has to be the same as God's. That the battles we fight, we fight for love. 
not because we want the person across from us to be trampled down or beaten. We recognize that they themselves are enthralled to something that's hurting them, and we want to bring them alongside us to the cause. We want them to be on the winning side with us. When we fight battles for the oppressed, for people that are hurting, for the system is taking them down, we fight those battles because we love the victim because we want them to have the good things of life that God would want for them. Love is the only right reason that you and I should ever fight any battle that we are in. And so as I wrap up today, here's my my final summary of how do I know that God is with me in my battles? Well, this is it right here. That I promise, I, I know with, I fight with confidence that God is with me in the battles for two things. When I recognize who the real enemy is and it is never the human being that's bothering me so much. The enemy is and only is the devil who would keep us all bound to death and sin. And when I recognize that that enemy is, then I can be motivated by love of the hostage. The one who is hurting, the one uh, who is losing their own struggle against whatever is oppressing them. When I have love for the hostage, love for that person that's antagonizing me, then God will always be with me in that battle. And what I promise you is those battles, the the ones that matter, you and I will never lose because God won't let it happen because God already won the victory that Christmas day, 2021 years ago. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that you fight for us Thank you that it was worth it to you. All the costs of war and pain, your son hung high on a cross. That that fight was worth it to you because it meant that you won us. That you brought us to the, the life and the goodness that you desire for us. That we now, none of us face circumstances that we will not overcome. There is no earthly struggle. There is no unjust system that will prevail over us in the end because you have conquered everything on our behalf. And so, Lord God, as we go into this Christmas season this week, as we face conflict and struggles and and wars on Christmas or even just wars around the Christmas table with our own family, Lord, flood us with your overpowering love. The love that conquers death can also conquer a hard heart can help us fight for the redemption of those around us and help us be a force for the winning side that brings people to life and hope and peace through your name. We pray this trusting in you. Amen. We fight with confidence because we know how great is the God who leads us and who fights on our behalf. And so let's take a moment now and sing a song that proclaims how great God is and how we need to proclaim his name to the world. Thanks for listening to the Pathfinder Church Message Podcast. If you would like to hear more messages like this, hit the subscribe button. You can also find more resources on our website, pathfinderstl.org.